0: This is uh, our fifth year of calculating it. The fifth year that we have um, done Orphan Sunday, participated, celebrated Orphan Sunday here at the Mission Church. Um, I think back then we had one foster family at the time, and over five years, um, we—you just heard—five uh, current licensed families, uh, soon to be eleven licensed foster families. Uh, I don't know if my math is perfectly correct, but I'm probably pretty close within one or two kids here. We've seen in the past five years, 15 children um, in foster care come through our families here. Some of them to stay. Some of them are still with us. Some of, us have, some of them have moved on. But, but like Michael said here, um, these kids get to hear the good news uh, of the gospel in these homes, they get to be prayed over, they get to be loved on um, they, they get to go to our children 's ministry, which is absolutely phenomenal. Many of you serve in it, so some of you guys are are serving these kids and without even realizing it um, we 've seen two adoptions in the past five years, and so um, this has been incredible. Um, you, you might ask, uh, I kind of wrote down the question. Why? Why orphan Sunday? Why why do we keep? Why? Why? Why do we do this here? Why is this a big deal for us? Why do we continue to do this as a church? The answer is not well because Zach and Melissa are foster parents, and so they have to do this. It's it's not that at all. Why why do we do this? Why are we so passionate about this? And the answer for me is pretty simple. at the heart of the gospel, God adopts us as His own children through Jesus Christ. That because of Jesus Christ, because Jesus has come, He's died on the cross for our sins, through belief in Him, through believing in Jesus, we are told we instantly become a son or daughter of God. And might I remind you, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, it means you're not a son and you're not a daughter of God. And so, through the gospel, we become children of God. Through the gospel, God looks at you. Listen to this. God looks at you and calls you daughter. Calls you son. Um, I very strategically... I call all my boys son. So I call them son probably more than I call them by their name because I want them to grow up knowing I'm dad. I'm dad to each of you. It doesn't matter if you look exactly like me or you look nothing like me. You are my son. And, and God looks at you and he calls you son and he calls you you, daughter, and He loves you like that. that, that we have that in the gospel. So, so why, do we, why do we make a big deal about Orphan Sunday? Why do we make a big deal about talking about adoption or foster care and bringing kids into our home and, and being a father and being a mother to them, even though it might be a short time? Why, why do we do this? It's because this is the gospel. We are, we are living out the gospel. And, and not only are we living out the gospel through this, we're living out the gospel in what is a tremendous state of need. We live in a, in a global world now. What I mean by that is if you want to cross the globe, all you got to do is get on a plane and travel 13 or 14 hours. So you can see a picture of a child that lives... Thousands of miles away, and you can now adopt them with $30,000 and a plane ticket. But you can do that. And so we we live in a world where there's uh, over 15 million, I think it's upward to 23 million, the stats are always moving around, somewhere around 20 million orphans in our world. 20 million kids. Who, who are either in foster care or or in an orphanage and and we can give them a mom or dad by simply hopping on a plane and raising thirty thousand dollars and God can do that by the way don 't get don 't freak out over thirty thousand um, dollars We live in a nation, so Josh talked about the localized reality we, li- we live in a nation where there 's 442,000 children in foster care. Um, 123,000 of those kids, they're just waiting for adoption. They're, they're waiting. They're ready to be adopted. takes about four years on average for them to finally be adopted. This, this, this is... This is our world. This is our culture. Um, you bring it even more local in the state of washington there 's somewhere between nine thousand to ten thousand foster kids, and somewhere around five thousand foster homes. So do the math on that one it doesn 't add up. It helps to have families like Josh and amy that says hey we 'll count for two we 'll take two for the price of one. Come on in." And it's never really for the price of one, though. Two for the price of two is what it ends up always being. And so here's, here's, here's what we live in right now. Seattle Times just did an, did an article on this almost exactly a year ago. And the Seattle Times talks about how since 2012, the foster care system has risen 20%. Uh, I've heard from other statistics that the number of foster families is actually has declined in certain years. Um, it talked about how in 2018, uh, they had seen over 100 foster kids who had to stay one or multiple nights in a hotel. Because there's just, just a kid comes into care, there's not enough families Okay, so we're going to go to a hotel. And it's, it's not like the hotel you, you go on vacation to, probably, I'm guessing. Um, and so this is the culture in which we live in. So you get even more localized. Let's just talk Renton. Um, out of all of King County, Renton ranks third for the most amount of kids that come into care. Um, Kent is higher than us and Auburn is higher than us. Um, but all the other cities in this area, Renton is up there. So, so so, why do we do Orphan Sunday? Because the gospel points us in this direction and we live in a state in which there is a tremendous, a tremendous need. I, I want to show you a picture here. So... I got to go to Africa a few weeks ago, Sierra Leone, and uh, this girl right here in the middle, uh, the very beautiful, they're all beautiful, the one right next to me, her name is Kadiatu. Um, I mean, come on. Is she not just absolutely gorgeous there? Um, so here's another picture of her. She, she looks pretty intimidated in that photo. Uh, I think for two reasons. One, she's like, who is this guy? <laughs> Who and why does he have his arm around me? Um, and what is happening right now? The other reason why she might look the way that she looks here is um, I had just gotten done talking with some, uh, a family in that village and they were telling me how her mom was working uh, and died in an accident about six months ago. Um, And she was now, her and I think she had a couple of siblings, were living with a different family in the village. And uh, I said to um, one of the people I traveled with, his name's Britton, Britton has been to this village, has worked with this village for a few years now, knows them all very, very well. There's like 200 people in this village, including kids, kids, and I looked at Britain and I said, I, I, I want to adopt her. And uh, you, you chuckle. I was not, I, I want to adopt her. I I don't, Britain, I don't even need to call Melissa. I know what she'll say. It's good. We're fine. We can make it happen. And I'm, I mean, just, I fell in love with this girl. And I said, I, I want to adopt her. And they actually just opened up adoptions in Sierra Leone. I think you have to live there for six months. So I would have been gone for a while. But for good purposes, guys. Maybe we could have like streamed me in or something. I don't know. Side note. But Britton said to me something that stuck with me. He said, Zach, you need to understand they don't want you to adopt her. They have a deep conviction that they want these kids to stay in this family this this vill- it's, he said something to the effect of this is just what they do this is, this is just this is their culture, this is the culture of this village of all the villages there that when a kid loses a mom or a dad, which happens more frequently than you might expect in Sierra Leone where the death rate is, the rate is so high. He said it's just what they do. They just take in kids. And it, I thought about that and it made me think of that passage where James, the brother of Jesus, James, the brother of Jesus, says this. He says, Religion. Now, when he says religion, he's talking about the gospel here. He so, says, okay, the, the gospel, the gospel that God, notice that he says, our Father, this, this gospel we believe in, oh yeah, the gospel that makes you a child of God, the gospel in which allows you to call God your Father. This gospel that God our Father accepts as pure and faulted, faultless is this, to look After orphans and widows oh by the way in their distress do you know what James is saying here James is saying Kate you guys are followers of Jesus you want to know what God our Father says is pure you know what God our Father says is what just Christians do what Christians just do, it's just who they are, it's just what they do, it's they they look after the orphan. They look after the widow. It's, it's, it's like that village that says, no, 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 we don't want you to adopt our child here. We know she's gorgeous and beautiful and sweet. We don't want you to because it's just what we do. We just take them in. And James is saying the same thing, okay? You, you're a Christian. You're a follower of Jesus. You're, you're someone who calls God your Father. This is just what we do as Christians. We care for the orphan. Now, let's be clear here. I don't think James is saying that the word look after literally means become a foster parent. It doesn't mean that in Greek. It doesn't mean adopt either. It means what so many of you are already doing. It means caring for like a family in our church who took One of our kiddos two nights ago just took her overnight because we had a majorly late night. Another family took a couple of our other kids. And so it looks like that, caring for them that way. It looks like bringing meals. It looks, but it also looks like, let's be clear, it also does look like maybe for some of you, it looks like you adopting, you becoming a foster parent. It's just what we do, guys. As Christians, we, we see these kids who don't have a mom or don't have a dad. And we go, I have a heavenly father because of Jesus. Maybe I'm called to be a kind of father, kind of mother to them or to support them. And this passage that we're going to look at today is in John chapter 3. And it's a passage namely about calling. It's a passage about calling. And I, I have two goals this morning um, with this passage. The first one is this. I think this passage gives us a road map when we think about calling. The calling God puts on our life, sometimes it's unique, sometimes it's distinct. It's certainly difficult. And, and, and being able to understand how to navigate that is it's needed. So this passage is about navigating God's calling for our lives. And then my second purpose is this, is um, I realize that this passage is not about the call to become a foster parent or the call to adopt, but I I can't help in light of it being Orphan Sunday to use this as a passage for you to consider the call to adopt or the call to to foster care at some point in your life. Now, the answer might be no, but this passage might say, but actually for you, it's yes. And by the way, I, I think we should just start by saying, nobody's off limits here. Like, I, I feel like some of us are like, okay, I'm definitely not called. Why? Because it seems really hard. Actually, it's probably a good reason why you are called. But like, nobody's off limits. I look at my dad, who I keep forgetting how old he is. Let's just say he's not young. He's like in his 60s, and he's got two teenagers that he's adopted. And nobody's off limits. You, I've met foster parents in their 70s, and it keeps them young. That's what they said. Um, my kids team to send tend to make me grow up a lot quicker instead of keeping me young, I suppose. But my goal as we look at this passage is let it be a road map as you navigate God's calling on your life and let this be an opportunity for you to say, God, do you actually want me to be a foster parent? Do you actually want me to adopt a child? Just ask yourself that question and see what God says. So John 3, 22 through 30, I'm going to break this passage up into four sections. I, I see four sections in it. Um, you have, I, I call it the problem of calling, the problem of calling in the first part. Uh, the, the next part deals with uh, the problem of calling, and the next part is the peace of calling, and then the purpose of calling, and then the last part is the power of calling. So let's start with the pro. I call it the problem of calling because there is a big problem when it comes to calling. And let's read it here. It says in verse 22, After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and he remained there with them and was baptizing. Verse 23, it says... John also, this is John the Baptist, John the Baptist was also baptizing. Now, I want to pause here and just get your mind thinking in the right direction here. What's going to happen in the beginning parts of this passage is there's going to be a comparison between Jesus and His disciples and their ministry and John the Baptist and His disciples and the ministry that God had given them. And it says, John the Baptist was also baptizing at Anon near Salim because water was plentiful there. And people were coming and being baptized. For John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they, that is John's disciples, John's disciples came to John the Baptist and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. We need to understand that John the Baptist, before Jesus came along, John the Baptist was probably, arguably, the most famous person in all of Israel. He was being called a prophet, a legitimate prophet... And there had not been a legitimate prophet for about 400 years. And so all of a sudden, John the Baptist comes along. He's being called a prophet, in which they had not seen in hundreds of years. He has people literally by the thousands coming to him. And he is baptizing them. Now, let's be really, really clear here. The ministry of John the Baptist is like, was a calling from God. What John the Baptist is doing, God had called him to, God had led him to, and God was tremendously blessing. And so here, so imagine this, John the Baptist, maybe the most famous person in all of Israel before Jesus comes on the scene, and you have guys, I wouldn't be surprised, who were lined up to become his disciple. And the few and the proud got to become disciples of John the Baptist. They're excited. They're all amped up. We get to be disciples of John the Baptist and probably saying things like this. We're going to change the world. We're going to impact the world. We are doing what God has called us to do. We are being used by God for really, really great things. Now, I just want to pause here for a moment and really ask an honest question. Do you want to be used by God for great things? Just, just wrestle with that. Do you want to be used by God for God for great things? Just, just give, me a, give me an amen if you're on board. Amen. amen. That, was, that was more or less convincing. I think that's exactly what's going through the mind of these disciples of John the Baptist. We are going to be used by God for such great ways. And probably began to see that. It says in verse 25 here, the very beginning, it says, Now, a discussion. Now, that word discussion in the Greek. It's, it's actually a dispute. So this is not a cordial discussion that's going on. An argument breaks out between John the Baptist's disciples and then we're just told the other guy is a Jew. And it's over matters of purification. Now, here's probably what the argument is about considering the context. We just got done hearing all about Jesus's. Um, ministry and how it's growing tremendously. And my guess is this Jew said something to John the Baptist's disciples about Jesus and about how all the people are now going to Jesus. And so what we see here is John the Baptist's disciples are pretty ticked off. They're pretty frustrated. Here's why they're frustrated. For them to become a disciple of John the Baptist, John the Baptist is out in the middle of nowhere baptizing. So to become a disciple of John the Baptist meant that they sacrificed everything. They probably all had jobs. Done with the job, were following John the Baptist. If you read about John the Baptist the kind of lifestyle he lived it didn't involve a house certainly it didn't involve a car it involved a really nasty diet if you read about it and then the clothes that he wore like this this guy is roughing it he's camping all of his life. So, so what this meant to be a disciple of John is you were sacrificing house, you were sacrificing any hope of making any decent income. You probably were setting aside even your family to a certain degree. The sacrifice was tremendous. And 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 here's what happens. Everybody is walking away from John the Baptist and following Jesus. And here's, here's the pro- I call it the problem of calling. Here's the problem of calling. God will call you and I to things that are really, really hard. I really wanted to stick with all the P's here because you got like the problem of calling and then the the peace, the purpose. It probably is better to call this the cost of calling. Jesus has a way of saying, I want you to follow me, but it's actually going to involve you laying your life down to serve me. And, and if you're going to follow me, there's going to be, it, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. You're going to come to some places where you're going to go, what? It, uh, this is not easy. This is not comfortable. This is not going the way that I thought, the way that I expected it to go. Become a foster parent. It never goes the way that you think it's going to go. Yeah, you'll totally adopt them in a year four years later. Yeah, it it looks like they're going to get to stay with you for this amount of time or that amount of time. Might even adopt. Oh, wait, they're getting picked up next week. But let's be real. Whether it's the call to foster care, maybe it's the call to adoption. Whatever God calls you to, there is a cost to it. Is there not? I was just reading this morning the passage in Mark 10 where, do you remember when John, the Apostle John, this John right here who wrote this book, and his brother, James, they go to Jesus, and they want to ask Jesus a question. But before they ask Jesus a question, they make this statement, I don't recommend you doing it. They say, Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask you. And Jesus goes, okay. What do you... you, what do you want me to do for you? That's the line. They say, in your kingdom, let one of us sit on your right, let the other sit on your left. And, and here's what they're saying. They're saying, Jesus, we want to have prominence in your kingdom we, we want to be a part of doing great things for your kingdom now I, I certainly think that there was maybe a piece of some selfish motives in there at least you feel a little bit of that but I also get a sense where John and James are seeing what Jesus is doing and is like man this is incredible Jesus we, we want to be by your right and by your left we want to be used by you for great things and do you remember what Jesus says? Jesus ends. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it verbatim. Jesus ends by saying, okay, all right, let's play your game. You, you, want, you want to be used by me for great things. You want to be by my right, by my left, in my kingdom. Here's what you need to understand. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Okay, Pause. Guys, I set you up. I asked, how many of you want to do great things for the Lord? And most of you gave me a more or less solid amen. And Jesus says, oh, that's really, really great. You now get to be a servant of all. You guys still want to be used by God for great things? Okay, still with me. Yes, awesome. But he continues. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Here's here's what we need to run in with and deal with and hold on to when it comes to our calling. There is a cost to it, and the cost is that we serve. The cost is that we, Jesus says, you need to be like me. And what I'm going to end up doing is I'm literally going to give my life for all of you. This is the cost of any calling you walk in for, God. And it's, it's what we need to start with. When, when we first became foster parents... Um, we got a lot of what are you doing? Why are you doing? My f- typical favorite is I could never do that. I could never do that because of this. I could never do that because, um, you know, my, I-, I could never love someone and then, and then have to say goodbye to them. I could never do that because, what, what, don't, don't you worry about your own children and them being uh, affected in that way? And, and so you get a lot of like, do you realize how costly this is? And Jesus says, well, that's, that's like the first box to check to follow God's calling for your life. And so it, it may not be on the front lines of orphan care. Your calling might not be to be a foster parent or be an adoptive parent. But I promise you, whatever God is calling you to, He has a way of saying, it's, it's going to be costly. But there's three solutions to this. There's there's three reasons I want to give you why we should still say yes, even though it might cost us everything. And and the rest of the passage is like that. tells us about that. Look, Look what happens next. Here's John's response to his disciples. Remember, John's disciples are like, man, this is not going the way we thought it was. Everybody's following Jesus now. And man, we sacrificed everything to follow you. And John said... Hey guys, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. Do you know what John means when he says this? John is saying, hey guys, you don't get to measure. You do not get to define the measure of success. God does. Here you are counting how many people are following us, how many people you might baptize. You're counting all of these things and you're looking at the things that you can somehow measure. And John says, I want to let you know that that you can count all those things, but God is the one who defines the measure of success. Not you. God defines that. And so I, I was thinking about this this week. Um, one, of, um, one of our placements that we had about a year ago, um, she came into our home. She was with us for a number of months. And, uh, and then she was going to be returned to home uh, on a... I'm not supposed to give specific details because I can get in trouble. I got in trouble once, guys, so I've got to be careful. <laughs> Um. So the the night before she was returned to home, we're trying to explain this to our kids. Our oldest at the time was seven years old. And, and our seven-year-old didn't want to go to bed. And so he goes down and, and he starts talking to my wife. And I'm putting the kids down to bed. And, and you know, unbeknownst to me, he is weeping just beside himself. Just... Weeping kind of uncontrollably because he realizes his little sister is not going to live with us anymore. And this all kind of, we end up putting him to bed, kind of walk through it. And and Melissa and I, we get in bed and we're just like, you know, this is why people have said we shouldn't do this. Because like what, like, Are we like emotionally damaging our seven year old here? This is like, this is going to stick with him. And we kind of wrestled with that. Um, One of the things I've realized through the tears that get shed inevitably when you're a foster parent is, guys, there are certain things worth weeping over. There are certain things to just cry your eyes out over. In our our little prayer time, we pray before the service, and Phil was reading from Psalm 126, and and it's this passage where it talks about how when we weep, they're like seeds that get planted. And then the next verse talks about how God turns that into a harvest. (coughs) And Melissa and I thought, you know, this is hard, this is difficult, but our kid gets to learn at seven years old, there's certain things worth weeping over, that yeah, it hurts to say goodbye, and in a sense, it feels like failure, in a sense, it feels like, oh, this is frustrating, but then we just kind of went back and said, okay, God defines the measure of success, not us. Success is not every kid coming and staying with us and living with us and being adopted by us. Sometimes it's staying with you for a number of months and then you weep for a number of months after that. My kids still pray for some of the for placements that we've had, and they're, they're long gone. And I I, I call this the peace of calling because John is saying, hey guys, you're trying to define success and God's the only one that does that. Success for us is defined by our faithfulness to what God has called us to. It's our faithfulness. It's, it's not particulars of what happens after. We, 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 can't, we can't even save these kids. We, we can't bring them to our home and go, oh, they're all going to become Christians. They're all going to become pastors. They're all going to become missionaries. We're, we're, we're it's all going to be that. We, we don't get to define that. But, but God says, hey, just, just be faithful. That, that's the definition of success. The next part, I call it the purpose of calling John continues, and John the Baptist says, You yourselves bear me witness that I said... I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. That probably means nothing to you. You're like, what in the world is John talking about? He's giving us a word picture. He's giving us a metaphor. In this day, um, there was the bride and then there was the bridegroom, or we would call him groom. And then there was the best man. Now, the best man had much different duties back then. A lot more holier duties, you might argue. They were not in charge of the bachelor party. Instead, these weddings would go on for days and it was the job of the best man to prepare to, to literally play a huge role in preparing this wedding feast. And then, in this culture, it was the best man who would bring the bride to the bridegroom. It was the best man's job to come to the bride and usher her in and present her to the bridegroom, to the the groom. And John is saying, guys, guys, I'm not the groom here. My job, my calling is to point people to the groom, to Jesus. And here's what John understood that I think that we need to understand when it it comes to our calling. Our calling, like, like John the Baptist, is to point people to Jesus. That's what he's saying. Hey guys, I know that you're frustrated that things aren't going your way on this, but I'm here to tell you that that's not the goal, that's not the aim of our calling. Our calling is to point people to Jesus. And, and so when it comes to foster care, when it comes to adoption, when it comes to any calling that you might have, it's not simply, oh, I'm going to rescue this kid. It's not simply, oh, I'm going to love and care for these kids. It's always, always at the top, at the forefront. It is always to point people to Jesus. It's to point These kids to Jesus. It's to point your spouse to Jesus. When when they're having a hard time. And they're struggling. It's to point the social workers. When they're annoying you. And the judges. When they don't make the decision. You think they should make. It's always about pointing everybody to Jesus. And, And here's what's great and universal here. We may all have different and distinct callings. But the purpose of those callings are all the same for us. Point people to Jesus. In everything that we do, we we point people to Jesus. And then I love how this passage ends. John says, Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase. I must decrease. I I call this the power of calling. Let's get straight what he means when he says he. He's speaking of Jesus. Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. Here's what John the Baptist is saying to his guys who are frustrated, who are disappointed. Man, this is not going the way we thought it would go. John is saying to them, hey guys, this actually isn't about you. Hey guys, this actually, it's not about me. It's about something so much bigger than me. It's about Jesus. Do you know why so many of you want to be used by God? I know the answer because if your goal is simply yourself is your if your goal is all about making much of you your vision only gets as big as you are and that's really not that big and people are really not that impressed but the reason why so many of us want to be used by god is because to be used by God is far greater than to be used by anything else. And God wants to use you for His kingdom and His glory. God wants to use you for great things. Now, He gets to define the great, not you. And John the Baptist, he realized that. He realized this is so much bigger than me. This is so much bigger than my own fame. This is so much bigger than the little role in history that I'm having here. This is about Jesus and making much of Him. He even says that this this joy is mine and it is now complete. It's this picture of John saying... I have a fullness of joy that, that is just overflowing. Just overflowing. And this is, this is the power of calling. This is is what keeps you going when you're tired and you're weary. This is what keeps you going when you run into the barriers of the cost of your calling. You can come to this place of going, no, 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 no. There is a joy in Jesus that actually outweighs the cost in which I am undergoing. And I think that John the Baptist understood, I I think what's at the bottom of this joy is that he is doing what he he would come to know what Jesus is going to do for all. That's why there's so much joy in living out the gospel. It's because we are reenacting what Jesus has done for us. That's why there's this really weird joy in laying your life down for a three-year-old or a seven-year-old or a very, very difficult 13-year-old. There's a really hard-to-describe joy in laying your life down for kids with disabilities. And the joy flows from this reality of knowing This is exactly what Jesus did for me. Jesus died for me. Jesus saved me. And now I get to just just taste it. Just taste it by caring for these ones here. And so, what is God calling you guys to? What are the things that God has set before you? What are the things that God is even putting your heart on right now? The calling that He has for you. Don't stop because you know that it's costly. Because there's a peace of knowing he gets to define success. There's a purpose that's bigger than yourself. It's about pointing people to Jesus. And then there's this power, this incredible, joyful power of knowing that you are simply reenacting what Christ has done for you. But what is it? What is it that God is putting on your heart? And it would not surprise me if some of you are are going, well, oh, maybe, maybe I do need to pray about actually adopting. That'd be crazy, but... I think that's what God is saying to me. Did you know that five, 5% of Christians have adopted? When I read that statistic, I was like, that seems low in, in view of James 1.27. It just seems low. And guys, imagine for a second, if it was the local church, it was Christians who became the solution to this foster care family shortage crisis that, that we exist in now. Imagine if it was the local church. Wouldn't that be amazing? That'd be absolutely amazing. And there's glimpses of that. There's, there's little glimpses of that. We're seeing more and more churches step into this realm and imagine if it was the local church, if it was Christians, if it was followers of Jesus that came in and said, yeah, we'll, we'll take these kids. They don't need to stay in a hotel tonight. We'll take them. We'll take them. We'll take them. But it is a calling. And, and, and don't... I hope there's not a sense of guilt, but don't confuse conviction with guilt and guilt with conviction, okay? Because if you're convicted, don't call it guilt, okay? Okay? Maybe it's the Holy Spirit saying, yeah, I'm I'm actually talking to you. Shall we pray? Father.